Hello, this is Yara Stark, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast, where I'm actually going to test out a new format, or really, I should say, it's actually a very, very old format. I say that because the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast actually began all the way back in 2005, initially with just me talking, a solo episode, as they are often known. And I was talking about things I was interested in or things I wanted to teach you regarding entrepreneurship. But to be fair, it was very much an experiment. So as you can imagine, 2005, it was early, early days for podcasting. In fact, there really wasn't much of a podcast scene yet. It had started to take off because of the iPod. Apple's iPod had come out and iTunes had that function where you could transfer all the music using the iTunes software. Bearing in mind there was no iTunes app on smartphones because there were no smartphones really yet. I think BlackBerry was the only phone with email at the time, certainly where I was in Australia. And it was quite difficult to get a podcast. You really had to download it onto your computer, transfer it to your iPod or whatever player you had, and that was what made it portable. It's not like today where you can be using broadband over your, your smartphone and download an episode directly using an iTunes app, which is, you know, way more convenient. So back then, I wanted to experiment with this format known as podcasting. I only had been blogging for six months at the time, so that was also new to me. And I really didn't see this whole publishing business model becoming my main business as it is today. But that's the origin of where it all started, my blog and my podcast in 2005. So that first podcast was simply a place where I started talking about entrepreneurial subjects for the first, I think, three or four episodes. It was mostly me talking for between 15 and 25 minutes. And then I made a very important switch. I started to interview other entrepreneurs and tell their entrepreneur's journey on the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. And that's what it has been ever since then. However, I've often thought about injecting these solo podcast episodes in particular because I'd like to continue doing what I've always done, which is share my own Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. So that's what this episode is today. A step back into the past, but also very much talking about the present and giving you a look behind the scenes at certain aspects of my own business or just talking about subjects related to running an online business that I'm going through without a guest. So I won't be interviewing anyone in today's episode. And just so you know, today's episode is a very important subject. So if you want to stick around for the whole show, I'm going to be talking about the entire process I went through to build my team, my current team around me that basically allow me to run the kind of business I run. So how I've been hiring, how I found people, what roles they fill, what order I hired them in, and including a history of my hiring process too, to build a team. I don't have a large team. I've never wanted to have a massive company, but I do have an important team. They're vital for me to be able to do what I do with my business and also for me to be able to live the kind of lifestyle I aim for. Because if you're aiming for a laptop lifestyle, as I call it, 
you need to have certain people in place. Otherwise, you're not going to have a lifestyle. You're going to be chained to a computer 10 hours a day forever trying to do everything. So I'll talk about that in a moment. Just a, a little bit of housekeeping to get people who may be new to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast up to scratch. So my name is Yaro Starek, and I have been blogging since 2005, as I mentioned. I've made my living online actually since 1998 when my first online business came out. It was actually a, a Magic the Gathering collectible card game website. If you ever heard me being interviewed on other people's podcasts, you would have heard the story of my Magic the Gathering site. And then my second online business, which was an editing and proofreading company called betteredit.com. Both of those projects were sold off many, many years ago. But while I was running them, I actually discovered the world of blogging. And that's what led to what I do today. So I built a successful blog myself, just putting out content for a couple of years from 2005 to 2006 to 2007. By that point, I was making a full-time income, and that's when I transitioned to becoming a teacher, really just to share what I'd done over the last couple of years blogging and talk about what was working. And that kick-started a whole career now as essentially an online coach and teacher in the world of publishing and building a platform. So that's what my company is about today. That's what I spend my my personal time working on. I create content, I teach, I now run this podcast or I have run this podcast for over a decade as well. Now this podcast is something that I never have seen as a, a main part of my business, but it's been an important part of my business. And that's why I don't wanna see it disappear. So I've been a bit haphazard with the way I run this podcast. Sometimes I'll interview two people every month and be consistent. Sometimes months at a time will go without me doing a new episode. And I'll be completely honest with you, as much as I love my podcast and I love doing the interviews, it's quite a lot of work and it takes me away from other things. Even though I have some contractors who help me get everything up and running, there is work to do recording and then a little bit of editing work afterwards and writing the, the content for the post, which I still prefer to do myself since it's in my voice. So that job was becoming something that I wanted to take a break from, to put it simply. And that happened at the start of 2016, the year we're in now as I record this. However, just recently, I've been listening to Amy Porterfield, and I love the fact that she interjects her podcast with sometimes a discussion, an interview with someone. It doesn't even have to be an interview. It's sometimes just bringing on an expert to talk about a subject, but also she does solo episodes. And a lot of podcasters do this still today, where they just get on their podcast and riff. So this is what I'm doing, and I, I'm going to treat this as an experiment to see, A, whether you like it. The whole point of doing this is, are you getting any value from what I'm talking about? And B, it, it gives me the opportunity to really be consistent with this podcast because I'll be completely honest with you, it's a lot easier for me to sit down and just talk to you as I'm doing now and then quickly get that off to my team than it is to do interviews and organize and schedule. And also be honest with you, I like talking about my own business. It's a, it's a fun subject. So, you know, it's maybe a little bit selfish, egotistical, whatever you like. But most people online who teach entrepreneurship and business generally do that a lot. We talk about our own stuff a lot with our businesses. So my blog is built on that foundation, sharing stories from my own entrepreneur's journey. And the podcast has been built on the foundation of sharing other people's story as an entrepreneur. And there's certainly an amazing back catalog of interviews you can go through from this podcast. But from today onwards, we're going to try switching back to the focus on me and my business and share what's going on in my world, which hopefully you can take away and apply to your own business. So that's enough of a background story. What I'd like to do now is switch over to the topic of the day, which is how to build a team so you can have a true laptop lifestyle business. So I want to start with the history of my hiring. 
Now, my business very much in the early days for a good five, six years was me and me alone. I was one of those crazy people who, despite not having a technical background, tried to become a technical person. So I spent pretty much 1998 all the way through to around about 2004, five. I can't remember exactly the year, but it was around about that time that I finally made the decision to bring on help. Now, the reason for me why I waited so long was simply cash. I didn't make a lot of money. And even when I did make money, I started to make much better money in sort of 2003. But I didn't want to spend it. I was feeling tight. I wanted to save money in the bank. I wanted to get my own house, move out from my family house or at least pay for rent. So, you know, I was like most people, young, no assets. And I wanted to keep as much money as I made. Nowadays, I understand the value of bringing on people to help accelerate growth, and that can actually make you more money quickly than trying to save every penny and not hire help. But it was a limiting belief, an attitude I had that I need to get over through experience. That, that was the only way for me to believe that concept was to actually start hiring people. However, I did understand the importance of hiring help if I wanted to achieve my ultimate goal, which was a low labor, high income business. So I was looking to create what I called back then two hour workday businesses. I generally call it now a laptop lifestyle business today, mainly because good old Tim Ferriss has sort of monopolized that concept of a four hour work week. So I, I don't like to use the phrase two hour workday anymore because it's, I want to distance myself from that, that juggernaut that is Tim Ferriss in the four hour work week. So the laptop lifestyle really sums it up. Uh, what I was aiming for, what I've always aimed for, businesses that don't take a ton of your time to run, but give you a good income, 100000 a year or more was my initial goal. But I didn't want to work long hours to maintain that. So I always looked into passive income or, or near passive income formulas. And it became very clear to me that for that outcome to happen, I had to hire people. So finally, when I actually was about to go on a trip from Australia, where I was born to Canada to see family, I made the decision to hire my first helper, which was a person to take over the email customer service for my editing company at the time. And this was a very easy hire. Uh, in hindsight, it's kind of crazy how easy it was and how naive I was to hiring back then. But all I did was actually ask a friend of mine. She was in university with me. I'd known her for several years because we were part of a group of friends that we all spent time together. And she, she was about to have her first child. She was looking for uh, some kind of work to do at home. And I said, you know what? You want to try this out? You take over the, the customer service role of my email inbox, which was basically the, the main job of that business. That business was all about forwarding emails between editors and customers. That was my main role. And you had to check the inbox every day really diligently and multiple times to make sure you didn't miss any jobs from customers. But that was basically it. The only other job I performed with that company was going to university campuses and putting up posters to advertise it, which I still did. And I actually eventually... Uh, outsourced a little bit of that job too, although it was harder to find good people for that role, but it really worked well hiring for the customer service email role. So my friend's name was Angela and she came on board. Uh, literally, we, we thought we'd do it as a trial, see how it worked. She had her baby, then she started work. I went off to Canada and she took over the inbox and it worked really well. It was quite amazing. She had no problems being a stay-at-home mom, checking the inbox every day. You know, I gave her a bit of training on how to reply to emails and what sort of situations we face. But pretty quickly, she became autonomous. And it was great because I never had to worry about these urgent customer emails being dealt with quickly, efficiently, effectively. So she took over that job. And I tasted for the first time the true power of hiring someone to do a role that A, you don't like doing, B, you don't need to do, and C, frees up your 
time. So it was an amazing transition for my business at the time. And Angela actually went on to work for my editing company even after I sold it. And then I brought her back on to my blogging business once that became my main project. And we worked together, I think, collectively for around about seven years. And she just was my email person. So a lot of people get stuck with the with their inbox. Their email inbox is like their their biggest time suck. And they have trouble figuring out how to, how to handle that. I have never had an issue with that because, A, I've had Angela, or at least I had Angela. And literally, that was so long ago now, you know, 2004-ish, when I hired her to do that. Ever since then, I've never been the person in charge of my main customer support email. So it's been, I mean, it's wonderful. It's obviously you know, the, the most important thing I think you should actually get outsourced from day one or as soon as you can afford to is get a VA or someone on that inbox for you. So I've not had to deal with my email and it's freed up a ton of time for me. The other job that I was hesitant at first to hire help, but I was also very aware of my limitations and, and I needed help was setting up the technical aspects of my business, in particular website design, website configuration, you know, just uploading scripts, plugins, configuring them, making your blog look nice, making your products look nice, making your, you know, your sales pages look nice, all these things that I was struggling. And I mean, I, I did all my websites to begin with. So, you know, in 1998, 99, 2000, I learned the basics of HTML. I wasn't good at it, but I, I learned enough to create my Magic the Gathering card game website and also the editing and proofreading business, which to be fair, were quite static, basic websites. They're kind of like online brochures. The Magic site had the advantage of having a forum and I managed to figure out how to install a script to run a forum so people could trade and talk about the game there. But that was about it. And it was a real limitation. So when I started taking blogging seriously, and also when I was sort of separating myself from the editing company, that's when I hired a tech person as well. So this happened very close to the around the time I hired Angela for customer service. I started to tap certain technical people. Now, that I didn't actually find a permanent person straight away. I remember I used a few contractors for odd jobs. Some went really well. Some didn't do that well. I think the first sort of big change was actually the uh, doing a new design for my, my blog. So Entrepreneur's Journey started in 2005. I was still running my editing company at that point. And around 2006, I did a redesign and I hired a person named Phil down in Australia to do the complete redesign, including the addition of something I'd never had before, which was an email inbox. You might laugh when you say that, but uh, you know, email marketing is such a big part of what we do today. It took me a couple of years to really grasp that idea. So it took me a year of blogging before I added the opt-in box. And that was when I hired Phil to do the technical change. And, and hiring and finding Phil as a tech person was, again, as naive and simple as hiring Angela. I simply asked a couple of friends who were already you know, doing their own website businesses who did their website design. And Phil sort of came through almost as a friend of a friend. He was actually in the friendship circle of some of my friends at the time. So it was very much just going to my existing networks and friendship circles. And Phil started with that job. I, I used him for that project and then a couple of odd jobs going forward. But then eventually we stopped doing work together because I found another tech person, Mick, who came on board as my permanent person for more ongoing work. So basically for the next few years, I had this three-person team of me as the content creator, 
Mick as my tech person and, and basically a blog designer, and he helped me with plugins and blog design and landing pages, setting up the, the membership area when I launched my first course, Blog Mastermind, and Angela just did the customer service. So all the emails coming in, she handled. And that was a sweet combination. I can't tell you how good that was, how simple it was. I guess you could say in hindsight only, I limited myself. But it was, when I say that, I limited myself by not growing my team bigger than that. I never hired anyone else. I could have hired people for, for growing my traffic. I could have hired people for, you know, other social media jobs as that became something that we, we do today. But really, I just had this sweet combination of someone handling my emails, someone setting up my websites. I happily did my blog content, wrote my email newsletter, created products. I had a partnership with Gideon Shalwick in one project, and he was kind of like a tech person as well. He set up some of the technical aspects of that business way, way back when he was getting started. And we had a great combination. And all of that was just a simple, elegant business model. And it allowed me to do over a million dollars in sales of my own coaching products. By then, I'd also sold off my editing company. So I just had this really powerful business model for publishing that was just essentially three people, myself, a tech person, a customer service person. And that's actually where I recommend you start. So at the end of this podcast, I am going to give you three tips for your own hiring process. And you're going to see they're very much related to what I'm talking about here. So that formula was with me for many, many years. And eventually, as much as it was successful, I did reach a point where I was seeing other people having more success, doing bigger things. And, you know, obviously there's more to my story, but I'm not going to dive into too many of the other projects I started and stopped. But as it relates to hiring, eventually I reached a point where I was like, you know what? I do want to take this to the next level. I'm seeing what my friends online and my colleagues are doing with help. They're just getting rapid growth, expanding further. And I want to do that too. I wanted to build a team that was bigger than me in a lot of ways, not because it really was still all about me just with, you know, tech and, and customer service handled. So it was around about the year 2012 when I had this desire to take this serious and I just basically jumped to the next level. You know, I was happy living in this comfort zone for a good four or five years. The money was great. The freedom was great. The business was great, but things changed online. You know, by 2012, the internet became way more crowded. Podcasting was booming. YouTube was booming. Social media was booming. All these new people were exploding and making millions within a few years. So I, I'm also influenced by that. So I, I realized I was kind of stuck in the past a bit. So it's time to get serious and, and build a team. Now, this is when things get interesting. So the first thing I did, which I recommend you do too, is to do what I learned about at a networking event. So it was actually quite interesting how this happened. I was at a, a networking event and this talk was done by a guy who was great at building companies. And he talked about doing what's called an organizational chart. Now, you probably are familiar with those uh, charts. They're, most companies, certainly big ones, have them where they just break down all the roles and the people that fill those roles in a company. And it kind of looks like a, well, a flow chart, basically. And you have like CEO, and that would be me, Yaro Starak. And then you'd have you know head of customer service. It would have been Angela. And head of technology, it would have been Mick. So what happened is I started to plan out an organizational chart for what I would call my dream business. And this was the advice that he, he gave to you. He said, you know, I can't remember the name of the speaker, but I remember hearing this advice going, this, this is something that I should do just for the sake of getting clarity. 
So he said, you should write out an organizational chart as if you've got every person working for you that you ever wanted. I called it the dream organizational chart because it was basically like building a dream company in terms of the staff or the, the people you want working for you and the roles they would fill. Now, this particular person suggested you write your own name into every role if you don't have anyone else doing it. This would actually be a great example of showing you how much work you're actually doing. If you're a long-term internet marketing fan or, or student, you'll be well aware of Rich Sheffern and his internet business manifesto, of which the most famous thing that came out of that was the flowchart where you you list all the functions of your company and you put your name into every function. Basically the same thing as this organizational chart idea, but you'd have yourself sitting as every role. So you're the, the pay-per-click advertiser, the banner advertiser, you're the content creator, the blog writer, the podcaster, the video maker, you're the customer service person, you know, you're the um, the affiliate manager. Every single function in your business, your name would fit in. And then you'd see this huge flow chart and it would be incredibly ridiculous that you believe that this could A, work and B, that would get you anywhere near a passive income because you just have too many jobs. So, you know, if you start with that idea, but take it seriously and actually map out all the core functions of your company, including what you'd like to expand into, don't put your name into them unless you want to. The most important thing is to define those roles. So that's what I did. I started, I basically did what I call a brain dump of my dream organizational chart. This is around about the uh, last couple of years, 2013, 14, something like that. And I wrote out, so well, I'd love to have someone in, in, in a dedicated Facebook advertising role. I'd love to have someone in a, a dedicated split testing role for all, all the content. And, you know, I'd love to have someone as a dedicated tech manager for, for one specific type of tech, you know, maybe the product delivery. So we could really ramp that up. So I just, I put out all these roles that I'd like to have in my company. And that allowed me to see the potential of what I could do with my business. Now, it was around about this time, too, that I actually had some changes in my company. As I was planning out this growth, I wanted to expand the role of what my customer service person did. I spoke to Angela about expanding her, her job. And to put it simply, she just didn't have the hours anymore to do anything more than the basics in that role. By then, she'd already had three kids. She was a full-time mom. So we made the decision that Angela would actually leave my company because I wanted to get some people into the customer service role who had more more space to expand that role because I really felt that the person dealing with my emails could actually do some other things well that are very interrelated with customer service and having the knowledge of customer service will help them perform other similar roles. So I wanted someone who had the capacity to do that. So I had a, a bit of a rotation over about a year and a half where Angela left and then another Australian contact came in named Lindy. I won't explain how I found Lindy just yet because I want to talk about the hiring process in a moment. Lindy came on board briefly. I think she lasted about 12 months all up. And then just in more recent time, I actually hired two people to fill my customer role. And we'll talk about that in a moment when I talk about my current system. I also had a rotation in the tech role as well, and uh, Mick left my business, and I, I have another person named Carly, and I'll explain how she came on board as well when we look at my whole team. So to put it simply, I had this big change in direction as well as a change in my team structure, and I don't think that was a coincidence in timing. You know, I, I realized that I was making a big change, so you know, the people who were with me in the old days, they were leaving. It was a chance to refresh the team 
build from scratch almost. So it was a little bit of a challenging time because there were a few periods there where I was kind of flying, hiring at the same time as training at the same time as, you know, saying goodbye to someone I'd worked with for quite a while. But that all came about to get me to the point where I am today. So let me break down how everything changed. So I did this brain dump of my organizational chart and I had all these roles. Now I couldn't realistically fill every single role quickly. This is something that needs to be done slowly over time. What was important to do though was to prioritize. So what I did was I looked at all these roles and decided, what do I need now? What's the most important roles to fill? That became an easy answer to, to deal with because I just had my customer service person leave and my tech person leave. So first of all, I had to get back to where I was and get good people in the role of tech and the role of customer service. But it did allow me to do that with a plan to take things to the next level in terms of building out my team. So let me explain how all of this happened. Now, before I talk about the hiring process, there's one thing I want to mention. A players. You probably heard this phrase being thrown around in, in hiring and, and just running a company. You want to get as many A players on your company as possible and really avoid B and C players if you can, because B and C players actually make the A players drop down and even want to leave your company. Now I had known about this idea and I, you know, I'd studied a lot of Evan Pagan's training. He'd referred me to top grading. I'd gone through top grading, which is really where the whole A player idea comes from. I recommend you grab that book if you want to check it out. But frankly, it's a pretty dry book and uh, it certainly will help you though when you're getting serious about hiring A players. But the simple idea is, is hiring people who can do not just a good job for you, but actually go above and beyond. This is the way I like to describe A players. If you've never heard this phrase before and you'll know it when you work with an A player because they do more and have better insight than you do. So an A player will actually though they care about the role they're doing so much that they actually see ways to improve the work without you telling them to do it. Now, this is a bit tricky when you're talking about contractors versus employees. You know, employees are with your business all the time. It's what they do, you know, every day of their, their working life and they're very embedded in your company. That's not my business, probably not your business either. I deliberately try and avoid hiring employees uh, so far, you know, I'm not against it completely, but at, for the time being, I've done great with contractors and I like working with contractors because it's more flexible for all of us. So with contractors to get A players, it's a little bit different. Like, while I felt that in the past, my team has been great. They've been not really embedded in my business significantly. So it's hard to say they were A players also because their roles were not that proactive. You know, they were basically reacting to what I would say, go change this about my website, you know, answer this email in a different way. It was pretty much driven by me. Now with this new plan in place for my company, I'm thinking, no, no, we need to get people into roles where they actually want to do more than what I just tell them. That's the simplest idea I think for an A player to follow is you're not just a robot to follow my instructions. You're actually going to look for ways to improve these core outcomes we're looking for in your role, you know, whether it's improving conversion to get more customers or improving customer service to keep more customers, you know, save people who might be wanting to refund a product, things like that. So there's goals we can set for people. I want them, you should want this too, to be people who actually motivated to go above and beyond because it's the kind of person they are. It's not about the money. It's about doing a great job and actually having the insight and the intelligence to spot 
what needs to be done to make something better. And you as the founder, the owner, the CEO, whatever you want to call yourself, you can't see everything. In fact, you shouldn't be expected to. You know, you need to focus on your core strength. So the person you hire, you want them to be able to spot ways to make things better without you always telling them that. So that's one of the things I was really looking for in this new team I was putting together. So let's talk about that new team. So first of all, I'll start with Carly, my, my tech person who I really, to be fair, she came on before I made this big transition. Mick, my tech person, we went our separate ways. I can't remember the reason why we, we made the change. I think uh, I was looking for some fresh blood in terms of design perspective. I think Mick was moving on to some other client work and projects. So we, we went our separate ways and I found this person named Carly. Now, to be absolutely honest with you, I feel a little bit bad about how I found Carly because I kind of poached her from a friend. Um, so my, I have a friend, you might know him, named Brett Thompson, who in, uh, lives in Australia. He's a copywriter. And he had Carly working with him doing some sales page design work and, and things like that. She's, she was a contractor. She's also based in Australia. So I was talking to Brett and we, we were actually working together on a sales page for my business and with one of Brett's students doing the writing, copywriting for it. And as part of that, he said, we can do the design work. And I said, that'd be great. And Carly was the person on his team who did the work. So I actually asked if Carly was available for additional work in my company. And uh, she was. So she started doing some more for me. And I loved her work so much that I said, I I'd like to you know, make this a regular contract role. Now, I know Carly still has done work for Brett, but I did kind of feel because I just had more work for her and ongoing work that I kind of poached her a little bit from Brett. I know I didn't stop her working for Brett, but I do feel a bit bad about that. But that's what happens. You know, people talk about headhunting and, you know, moving from one company to the next. Whatever the case may be, you know, it was ultimately up to Carly to decide she was a contractor, what, what work she did. And I offered her a fairly consistent amount of work and she came on board and she's never been a full-time worker for me, but she's done a lot of the tech work, pretty much all of my business in terms of, you know, blog redesign, membership design has been mostly done by Carly. I've had a few temporary, you know, one-off hires to do a sales page here and there where I'll go to a site like 99designs and search their marketplace to find a designer whose work I like and get them to work on just one thing, like my, my flagship course sales page design. And then I'd hand over the design to Carly and she'd implement it as a website. So she came on board and has been with me and still is with me today now, I think for it must be a good you know, four or five years now. So she was the, the new tech person. So that got me back up to a, the basic level, but then I also need to find new customer service people. So what happened was uh, I had this kind of period where I had a bit of trouble after Angela left finding someone. I, I used a, an outsourcing service, which didn't get me a good result. And then I found Lindy through a method that I still recommend today. And I'll actually mention this as a tip at the end of this podcast for you is just by hiring through your existing contacts. So I, I contacted my email list. So I sent a, a notice to my email list that I was looking to hire a new customer service person. And also I think on Facebook, I posted it. And Lindy showed up as a great potential customer service person, but I actually had a couple other people show up at the same time who also applied for the role. Lindy had experience with Entreport, which is the system I use for everything, email, delivering product, and so on. So that gave her an advantage. And I was pretty convinced that she was going to be my new customer service person. But at the same time that Lindy applied, a friend of Carly named Laura also applied for the role, another person who was looking for some sort of remote laptop lifestyle kind of contracting. 
So what happened then was I started to think about this organizational flowchart and started to think about the kind of roles that I wanted to fill and, and where Laura might fit in. Before I tell you what role Laura took over, I have to tell you a story because this will give you an insight into what kind of mindset I had at the time regarding hiring contractors and, and where I was at. So prior to everything I've talked about here with Lindy and, and, and so on, back when I was still running my company with Mick and Angela and we're doing things well, I was still hiring people for odd jobs, you know, maybe get someone to take over some social media that I didn't want to do. Or like I said, hire a designer or a copywriter for a sales page design or the copy for it. So I get these one-off people jumping into my company, doing a role and then leaving. They weren't permanent the way, or I won't say permanent, but they weren't consistent in, in, in doing work for my business the way Mick and Angela were. But I wanted to find more people. So as you probably have heard and no doubt have seen talked about many, many times on the internet now, the idea of outsourcing overseas to countries where the local currency is uh, of a lower strength. So you can actually hire people for $500 US for a full month worth of full-time work. So $500 US is a, a full-time income, a good full-time income in the Philippines or, you know, in, uh, in Russia or Thailand, whatever it is, you're going to look to hire people and you can get a lot of hours from someone quite competent for much lower cost. If you're based in, you know, somewhere with a strong currency like Canada, Australia, America, the UK and or anywhere where they're using euros. Now I, I was, um, hearing some actual stories from some close friends of mine, my friend Gideon, who I mentioned earlier, he had this Filipino person who had come on board and basically become his uh, chief operating officer was almost running his company at the time. And I think he bumped her salary up to a thousand dollars us, but it was still a thousand us for full time, 40 hour week work. And then I, you know, had some friends who had people on part time, 20 hours a week paying $300 a month or $200 a month, you know, even stories about $6 an hour, $5 an hour kind of jobs out there and, and people happily doing them because that was still good money for them in their country. Now, I was a little bit hesitant regarding underpaying people, but I certainly saw the value in potentially, you know, finding someone good and then upping their pay rate. It will still be cheaper than me, you know, trying to find someone who would cost me $3,000 a month here. But if I could get them for $1,000 a month, kind of like what Gideon was doing, I, I was happy to do that. So I dove into this idea of hiring, especially from the Philippines, because everyone was saying the Filipinos are friendly and they're quite competent with tech, especially with basic tech, like maybe WordPress and dealing with your customer service and social media. So I started on the hunt for some Filipinos and this is when the horror story started for me. So uh, to cut a long story short, I basically started a process of testing and I'm looking for Filipinos, including using some quite well known services. For example, Chris Ducker, you probably know Chris Ducker. He has a big company in the Philippines and has a, he actually has a, a contracting service where he will find vetted Filipino workers for you, you pay their company a, like a finder's fee and then this person comes and works for you. So I did everything. I tried Chris Ducker's service three times to find someone. I had uh, people come through uh, referrals. I also advertised on my social media in, in my email list. 
And I basically had this horror run of about 12 people from the Philippines who came and just didn't do the work. So this is what would often happen. I'd start communicating with a person and they were, you know, their English wasn't perfect, but it was good enough. They'd agree to do some work. And then often I would assign them the job and then I'd come back and a week later, nothing had been done. No communication had happened either. I find out what's going on. They finally write back and say, sorry, I'll get it to you on Monday. Monday comes along, don't hear anything from them. And then I email them again and then that's it. They're gone. I haven't heard from them at all. That would happen once I'd, I'd say, okay, I understand I might have to go through a bad eggs to find the good ones. So that happened like two or three times. And then I started working with Chris's service and I had similar problems. People would say that um, it was really bizarre. Actually, people would say this person is currently working for my company and they're brilliant, but I haven't got enough hours for them or I'm changing my business. So I don't need them anymore. Do you want to take over working with this person? And a couple of times I said, sure, if they were so good for you, then they must be great. And they were good for them. But then as soon as I started working for me, I don't know if it was me or my the kind of work I had for them or the way I communicated. I, you know, I, maybe something was off with what I was doing, but I'd have this ongoing experience where these contractors would just poorly communicate, not get the work done. Sometimes the work was so terrible that I just said, we're going to stop. I can think of one specific example. I was actually trying to have my podcast turned into YouTube videos, hire someone to do that for me. And one person did it and it was so bad I couldn't use it. Another person did it, but they were actually taking like it was a one hour long podcast that would take them 40 hours of their time to finish editing. So although their hourly rate was cheaper, their pace of work was so slow. They're actually more expensive than anyone I could imagine. It was costing me, you know, $400 for one video, which just did not make sense. So long story short, by the time I hit the 10th person, 11th person, 12th person, in fact, there was one real deal breaker or two deal breakers. One time I had this person who basically I went through that process, assigned them some work. They didn't do it. They said they would do it. Then they came back to me after two weeks and said, I'm sorry. I sorry I disappeared. A tree fell in my grandmother's house and I have to go save her. Now, I don't know whether that's a true story. It's a made up story. If it's just a true story, then I hope the grandmother was okay. But whatever the case is, they disappeared completely after that as well. Hopefully just looking after the grandmother, but whatever the case is, they're not a good worker. So I had this period of about a year where I lost all faith in hiring from the Philippines. And I basically threw it out the door. I said, that's it. I'm not going to do anything with the Philippines. You know, I did find someone who did a little bit of work with me that actually he came to me and said, listen, I want to defend my country. He was Filipino and wanted to show that there's some good people. And we did a bit of work together. That was okay. It wasn't a player by any level, but it was, it was good. And we did a few jobs. So. To uh, put a very, very long story short in terms of hiring from overseas at, at discount rates, I kind of threw that idea out the door. Now, I'm not going to say it's something you can't do. I still know plenty of people who have great, great people working for them from the Philippines, from all over the world, and they're paying really low prices. Uh, I know Barbara Turley. She's one of my graduate students. She has a team, and she, she gets great results with Filipinos. Another friend of mine who's been on my podcast, Barnaby, he has a great tech team in, in Ukraine that do a lot of uh, programming, doing apps for him. He loves it because it's, you know, low priced, great quality. So there's certainly way more examples out there of successful projects. But for whatever the case may be, it just wasn't working for me. And in my experience, I had a lot of success with Australians and, and Canadians. And, you know, even though it's not quite the same as paying in Filipino, it still is a little bit cheaper if I'm making American dollars and I can pay people in Canadian or Australian dollars because of the cross rates. Usually there was a time when the Australian dollar was stronger than the American, which was a scary time for me. I tell you that. But anyway, what I decided, what my conclusion was, I just 
preferred Australian, Canadian, American, UK workers for many reasons. The communication was better. The reliability was better. The work quality was better. And I kind of came to the belief that I love this sort of stay at home mum scenario. I'd had great work with Angela. You know, Mick wasn't a stay at home mom or stay at home dad, but he was also, you know, doing his own thing and working during his own hours. And that just worked well for me. And I think it was a cultural thing as well. So since that experience, I was like, no, we're going to try and focus most of our energy on Australia and Canada. And, you know, that, that kind of person who's not looking for full time work, but they're good at what they do and they want to become part of my team, you know, really looking for long term, not one off jobs, but consistency. So that's where I found myself at this point. So I had this, these bad experiences, but I, they'd given me clarity in what I was looking for. I'd put together this dream organizational chart of what kind of roles I wanted to fulfill in the future. And then I was about to get ready to do all this hiring, but I realized something about myself as a result of this entire process. I didn't like hiring. It's just not a good job for me. I didn't enjoy it. And that was being reflected in the quality of the outcome, you know, because I wasn't good at the role. I wasn't doing a great job at it. So I, I came to this conclusion. I need to hire someone to help me do the hiring. It's not a strength and it's something I should do first. So I decided once I was filled up with the main roles. Once I had got my tech person on board and my email customer support person back on board. So I was back at a, my standard level of a team. The next person I would actually hire would be a person to help me hire. Basically a project manager type person where we'd decide what things we need to do next and then go and find people to help us do it. So when I went out there looking for a new customer service person, I had Lindy apply and I had Laura apply who I mentioned earlier. And while I was talking to them, I thought, this is fantastic. I'll give Lindy the customer service role. And I'll ask if Laura is willing to come on board as a project manager with the emphasis being on getting upskilled to become a good person at hiring other contractors. And I made that very clear to her during the hiring process that this is the role. Now, Laura didn't come to me planning to be a person who hires other people, but she had the common sense, the intelligence, and I guess the desire to, and, and even the excitement to potentially, you know, do this role. So Lindy came on board, Laura came on board. I had Carly as a tech person, and that was where my company was. When I also coincidentally, no, it wasn't coincidence, but I planned on basically rebuilding my teaching business because I had no products on the market at the time. So I was about to personally dive in and write some eBooks, create brand new versions of my flagship courses, create brand new training. So I was going to dive into that all while building out this team so that my company can, you know, start growing a little bit without me. So that's, that was the plan. Now what happened going forward was quite interesting. So after about a year, I, I realized that I wanted to change the situation with Lindy and the customer service. I actually wanted to bring on two people to do that role and two people in different time zones so that we could offer customer service across a longer period of time. You know, I, I don't like people having to wait sort of longer than 12 hours to get a reply from us. So we, we need people in different time zones. So what happened was Lindy moved on to work on her own entrepreneur's project and Laura got to work hiring two new customer service people. Now, while that was happening, Laura was also working hard to hire other people for my company. So I'm going to give you a summary of what happened because I don't want to drag this on too long. It's already been a very long episode, but I want to just explain the roles I've got now in my company and how Laura has been able to hire these people. So what things look like today and what's worked really well. 
So today we've got two people, Martha and Amanda, in customer service in my business. We call it client care. Carly is still working as my main designer, or really more of a developer role. She's great with HTML and CSS. We have a second uh, tech person brought on named Adam. We also have a person in graphics specifically. Her name's Elena. We have a few other sort of people pop in and out now and then for odd jobs, not so much the main jobs, but that's the main, the main roles in my company. So just to basically, it's kind of uh, funny to think about. I basically doubled the, the core roles I had. So I have now two customer service people and two tech people. Plus I've added a graphic designer and I've added a project manager or hiring manager in Laura. Now that's the main role, the people who work with me every day. They're the people we're always working together. And we have a few other people pop in for things, you know, like Facebook ads here and there, maybe copywriting here and there when we need them, but that's the core team. Now that's allowed me to do more than I ever did, in particular do better than I ever did. And now that I've got two tech people, we can do more things like split testing, opt-in pages, landing pages. Uh, you know, we can start playing around with more things with my blog and testing and tracking. With two customer service people, we can respond to queries quicker, but we also been able to do things that I've wanted to do for a long time, like have an active representation on live chat across all my sales pages and also in my customer area. So the, the girls do a great job there dealing with any live chat queries, which is actually a sales role. You know, when you get a question coming through on a live chat on a sales page, they're looking to buy. And that's something that, you know, my customer care, my client care team are in a great position to handle because they deal with customer questions all the time. They know my products. So it's, it's a, it's a good extra role that I wanted that person to do. For example, that Angela didn't have the time to do. So this team came about. Now let me explain how we went through the hiring process because this is what's really evolved with my company. So the great step one I made at the beginning was hiring a person to help me hire. <laughs> so that was the big lesson, bringing on Laura and saying, listen, I suck at this. Not just that I, I suck at it because I don't know how to do it, but I suck at it because I don't want to do it and I haven't got the motivation to learn. Laura had the motivation to learn and do a good job at this and, and really has come out as an A player in general. She's an A player in general, but has turned out great at this job. Now, Laura had the same kind of problems I had. So, you know, I handed off to her this horrible job and said, listen, we need to find someone to do this role and this role and this role, go and hire. So she started doing that. And we, we did things like most people would advise you to do. You know, we said, all right, let's go check out the outsourcing websites. So we went to Upwork and we tried to find people through Upwork. Then we, we have a page on my blog. I've had it there for a while called the jobs page. So when I first found Laura and Lindy, one of the things I did was send an email to my newsletter house list, directing them to this jobs page on my blog that just listed the roles that I have and people could apply and they'd apply. But often I have bad people or not bad people, but not the right people applying for these roles. And we waste a lot of time, even sometimes hiring people that turned out to just be so not right for the job. So there was this a lot of wasted time happening. And Laura actually became really frustrated too, because we just kept hiring people who just were so not fit for the job. We were amazed that we were even reaching this point with them. Clearly we were doing something wrong with the hiring process. If we'd reached all the way to the point where we we're testing them, but we haven't, we should have eliminated them a long time ago. So we kind of went back to the drawing board and we said, you know what, we need to learn how to do this better. So we started researching how other people hire, what they do. And we came across uh, one thing in particular that seemed to be something we could test. And that was setting up a much more in-depth application process to apply to work with our company and also really expand the page that we list on my blog that offers work. 
So it became a sales page in the sense that it talked about why it's exciting to come to work with Team Entrepreneur's Journey, why it's exciting to come work with Yarrow, and also talk about you know who already works with us. Just really make it a more desirable company to work for. But then also, once they're excited about working for us, make sure they have to jump through a few hoops to really demonstrate they're, they're good at this. So Laura analyzed some other people's hiring process and then came up with essentially a survey application form. So people now, when they apply for roles in my company, actually have to go through this multi-step form. We just use Google Forms to do it. And it asked them some questions, obviously the basic things like name and country and all that. But we also asked some questions, you know, regarding what they want for their future, how they see themselves working for us, how they would deal with certain situations, you know, give us examples of how you would do this. Then so there's some abstract questions in there too, just to get some feeling about their personality and, uh, you know, what, what kind of goals they have and what kind of attention to detail they have. All these things we identified as what was lacking in the people who were not fit for the job. We wanted to make sure that this application process, A, made sure those people didn't get through the application process and B, only the very best would make it to the end. So they'd be, they'd be not just motivated enough to fill out all the survey questions, which showed they were serious, but they'd actually fill out great answers to the questions. Now, naturally, that means you get far fewer applicants to the jobs, for the jobs, but when you get people all the way at the end of the application process, they're good people. Now, you're probably wondering what kind of questions I ask. So what I'm going to do as a, an upgrade, as a, as a handout to go with this podcast, I want to give you an example of the questions we ask in the hiring application process so you can adapt them to any kind of survey application process you want to put in place for your company. So I'm going to give you the questions we ask in, in one of our examples. If you want to get that, I'm going to make that available as a download. You'll have to opt in to grab it from this podcast. And I've actually just purchased a brand new domain name to make it easier for you to find these since I have to say it on the podcast. So to get this handout where I go through the types of questions you could ask in a job application form to find the best A players, you can go to ejpodcast.com forward slash the number one. This is the number one because it's the first solo episode I'm doing in a long time. So ejpodcast.com forward slash one, the number one. Don't spell it. It's just the number one. And that will give you the this episode. And on this episode, you'll find the, the opt-in box to get the handout to go along with it. Okay, so once we set up these application forms, we started to get some better people applying. And that's actually how we found Adam, the second main tech person. We actually initially discarded him during the earlier phases when we were looking for people. But he came back and went through the whole new application form and came out as a top performer. And we've been working with him since, and he's been quite good. Okay, so that's a summary. And basically, everyone in my team now, my two customer service people, my two tech people, Laura as a hiring manager, Elena as a graphics person, that's how the business works. It's still not huge. It's still all contractors, but it does allow me to do more than I used to do. And, and of course, we're expanding. We're going to hire more people as the business grows. So this has been a, a long podcast already. I hope you've gotten something out of it. Now, what I want to do in this sort of last five minutes before I wrap up the show is just give you some tips on uh, what you can do based on the story I just shared with you to sort of avoid avoid my mistakes, but benefit from the things that have worked well. I've just got three tips for you based on this journey I've been on. Number one tip for hiring for your company, your online business, in particular, if you're going to put together a laptop lifestyle business, hire in the right order. So what I mean by that is hiring is something that you can do forever. You, you will always need more people, but you only need certain key people from the point you're at now. 
So you know where you're at now. You might already have some people working for you, but there's some constraint in your business right now that if you had the perfect person, it would make a huge difference to your business growth. Sometimes if it's just at the beginning, you, you could be like me where I was, you know, 10 years ago and you just need a tech person and just need a customer email support person. And I will almost always recommend those two roles as the first people you hire for, especially email. I mean, you can do tech on a sort of ad hoc basis, hire a person once off for setting up your blog and your landing page and your email newsletter, but you're going to always have email coming at you. So the sooner you get a, a, a semi-permanent virtual assistant type customer service person who's dealing with your inbox, the sooner you don't have to deal with your inbox. And that's a huge job. Outside of that, though, your hiring priority might be different. You might already have great tech, great customer service. Maybe what you need is to hire someone to be a, your own Laura, your own project manager. So someone who can actually hire for you. And that was a key hire for me to get everyone else who we've got since then. And also to just, you know, keep all the the learning away from me, like, you know, as much as, you know, Laura would say she did not like the experience of having to tell people they didn't get jobs or hire people who turned out to be wrong. It's so important that she did that and not me. Like the hours she put in doing that saved me from doing it. And I was able to use that time to create product, to, to market my business. And that's important. It's not just about growing your business by bringing on people to do things. It's about growing your business, taking you out of jobs that you shouldn't do. So, you know, hiring the right person in the right order for you simply might be about hiring one person to do something that you're doing right now that you shouldn't do. Tip number two, when going out there to hire people, we've had the best results using existing contacts, your own email list, your own blog, your own social media following as an initial contact point, and then as a secondary contact point, any kind of referrals. Frankly, we've not had great success with any outsourcing services like Upwork or Freelancer.com or wherever you go. We've also had, as I talked about in my story, terrible results going to hiring services that try and find good people for you. I've done that three or four times and it's not worked out well. The best people have come from people who already follow your work. They know you, they like you, they trust you, they, they know your work. They're excited to work with you. So if, you're, if your audience is of a big enough size, even if it's only a few hundred people or a few thousand people, go to them first and you might find the perfect person to work for from them. If not them, you might find it through a referral source in the sense that they might know someone. If they don't have someone, definitely tap any friends you have who are really succeeding. You know, if someone you know has a great website, ask them who did it. If someone you know has a great social media marketing campaign going, ask them who runs the social media marketing campaign. That's tip two. And tip three, the final tip is when you're getting serious about this, you want to get serious about the application process. So I recommend having some kind of multi-step survey style application process to weed out the people who are just not good because they're lazy. It's really easy for people just to write out a quick email to you to apply for a job and they might come across quite good but they're not answering certain questions. You know, if you use a, a real survey that asks some tough questions, you're going to weed out the bad people or the people not right for the job, the lazy people, the, you know, the people who aren't qualified or the people who don't have the right kind of uh, attitude. And you're going to be left with the best people because they put in the effort, they have the attention to detail, they're excited and they care about filling out this survey to the best of their ability. And as I said, I will give you the certain questions or some of the questions you could use based on what we do as a, a free giveaway and opt-in handout you can get if you go to ejpodcast.com forward slash the number one. That will take you to the download page for this episode. And on there, you'll find some opt-in boxes to grab that handout. 
the uh, the giveaway to go along with this first of my brand new behind the scenes entrepreneurs journey solo podcast episodes. Okay, so to recap those three tips, make sure you hire people in the right order, focused on the priority person you need today. Look for people in your own network, your own email list, your own world first, and then referrals if you can't find them through your own network. And three, put in the time to create some kind of multi-step application survey process to find the best people. Okay, that's it. That is the story and the situation of where my hiring is at now. Thank you for spending your time to listen all the way to the end of this episode. That was a long one. Quite a few stories to share there about how I've gone through the hiring process over the years. I do feel that I'm in a much better place now, especially with Laura in place as a hiring manager and Laura having the experience of going through some failures at hiring as well, which helps us learn what works. It's one of the best ways to learn what works is to figure out what doesn't work first. And, uh, you know, I feel that we're at a good place and also we're, we're growing. So we're going to add a few more people to do more things in the future, but that's where things are now. And it's quite different to where they were for me for most of my company. For a good six, seven years, I did do things with two people and, and that can work well if you're happy staying at that level. Obviously, if you wanna to grow to the next level, you need to start bringing in more people. I hope those tips help you. I hope the handout with the survey questions to ask during the hiring process helps you. That's ejpodcast.com forward slash the number one. And that's it. So my name is Yaro Stark. I'd love to know whether you found this format of the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast useful? Do you want me to do more of these behind the scenes style episodes where I talk about my business? What did you like? What did you not like? You know, please come and let me know. The best place to do that is on my blog or on Facebook. I actually have a Facebook community that you can join for free called the Laptop Lifestyle. To join that, you can go to laptoplifestyle.me.me, laptoplifestyle.me. Okay, I'm going to call it a day. Thanks for listening all the way to the end of this Entrepreneur's Journey podcast episode. My name is Yara Starek. I'll see you or speak to you on the next episode.